Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you and to the world. If you don't already support us, you can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you can click on one of our two friendly yellow buttons, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Thursday, August 28th, 2014. All right, this is one of those rare occasions where you actually get to know the theme of the program without having to guess it. One of those weird things where, as I've been researching, the stars have aligned. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Roseboro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God, because, well, there is no shortage of crazy things being said out there. We take the time to slow down, stop, open up our Bible, and see if what they're saying actually squares with what God's Word says. Now, Today's episode, today's episode, I'm seriously considering, although I haven't made the final decision, I'm seriously considering, entitled this this episode, Fractured Bible Stories. Fractured Bible Stories. Um, Let me read to you a biblical text to kind of set up the table, if you would, for today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. And one of the things I say here regularly is is that, you know, sound biblical doctrine is not important because I say it's important. I mean, see, that's the thing. Who cares what Roseboro's opinion is? I mean, that's the thing. Is If this were just my opinion, listen, you could take it or leave it. But what I'm trying to convey to you is, well, God's opinion. And listen, I'm not God, not not even close to it, <laughs> far from it. Um, instead, we have the revealed will of God from the written word of God. And uh, this is not you know, stuff that's compiled together by people claiming to you know be liver shiver type vision casters. These are people who actually had bona fide encounters with Jesus, and particularly uh, Peter, yeah, the apostle Peter. Yeah, he walked, talked with Jesus, was a re- uh, uh, witness to the resurrection of Jesus, and ultimately ended up giving his life. You know, m- being martyred. Uh, you know, uh, confessing the faith and confessing that Christ was risen from the grave and that he was uh, the the Messiah of Israel. That all being said, the Apostle Peter, who you know might have a little bit to say, you know, you know, ha- kind of be in an expert position, if you would. And what I mean by that is this: is that yeah, there's this weird thing that goes on. People try to create this split between the uh, the historical Jesus and the Jesus of faith. It's impossible to make such a split because the Jesus of history is the Jesus of faith, and Jesus never wrote anything on his own. Yeah, the only way you can get access to the historical Jesus is through the writings of the apostles, and they always write about him as if he's God. 
Isn't that weird? You know what I'm saying? So that the when you hear liberal scholars, you know, in the church of all places, yeah, you know, there's a, the Jesus of faith is different than the Jesus of history. Yeah, that's all. Well, <clears throat> yeah, just nonsense. Absolute scubalon. Anyway. The Apostle Peter, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, an eyewitness to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, he talks about people who twist God's word. And uh, here's what he says in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 14. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given to him. Notice that Paul received his wisdom. Uh-huh, that's right. You know, Paul is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Everything he, ha- he preached, he received. Everything he wrote, he received. So as he does in all of his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. Now, there are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and the unstable twist. To their own destruction, as they do the other scriptures. Uh huh. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. But grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. So that's how Peter, kind of parting shot there at, uh, at Second Peter. So uh, there's ignorant and unstable people who twist to their own destruction Paul's writings as well as the other scriptures. Notice here, the Apostle Peter, he seems to think that Paul's writings are scripture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then he talks about these ignorant and unstable people who twist the scriptures to their own destruction, and he warns people to not be carried away with the error of lawless people and thereby lose your own stability. Mm-hmm. So here's the idea. Yeah, if, somebody's gonna, if somebody's twisting God's word, uh, well, what's God's opinion of them? They are, well, ignorant and unstable. They're twisting God's word to their own destruction. They are lawless people mm-hmm. and in error. This is what Second Peter 3 says. Right? Not my opinion. I'm just reciting for you what the text says. No interpretation necessary. This is just straight up what the word says. So what we're going to be doing in today's episode of Fighting for the Faith, again, it's going to, the, the, the episode most likely is going to be entitled Fractured Bible Stories. Fractured Bible Stories. And we're going to you know, play uh, intro music for the entire f- segment, first hour, if you would. And we're going to take a look at different examples of fractured Bible stories where the person teaching is twisting the actual story itself, okay? Uh, One is, uh, well, the first one is is actually one of the more complicated ones. It's not as easy to spot. Um, And then from there, so the stories we're going to be taking a look at today, first hour, the story of Mary at the tomb, the story of the prodigal son, the story of the rich young ruler, and the feeding of the 5,000. So these are four you know, little biblical stories we're going to be taking a look at. You're going to need a Bible today, okay? And we're going to listen to different people as they literally change, you know, warp, twist, mangle these stories and the details in these stories uh, and as a result of it, they're teaching false doctrine. But what's rather fascinating is is that uh, in all of these, they, these are blatant, easily 
observable twistings of God's word. You, you don't have to be somebody who's study, studied five years of uh, biblical exegesis and hermeneutics to spot it. I mean, really, in reality, uh, a fourth grade uh, Sunday school student should be able to spot most of this stuff. And then in hour number two, we're going to head back to Narrate Church in Helena, Montana. And, uh, <laughs> oh man, listen to a sermon entitled Pursuing Your Weird, Pursuing Your Weird. Have you, you know, as a Christian, I mean, I see, that's the thing. This is a sermon preached at a church. Yeah, at Narrate Church in Helena, Montana. You know, so if I were, you know, a member there and, you know, somebody who wasn't biblically discerning, I, I would leave the premises thinking, wow, God wants me to pursue my weird. And uh, to which my question is, where in the Bible are we told to pursue our weirds again? Yeah, it's just one of those strange, weird, bizarre uh, sermons. So, yeah, it, and which seem to be ruling the day nowadays. So with that, we're going to dive into the program proper. And I'm going to literally, this we're, we're not going to have intro music for each of the different segments that we're going to be doing in hour number one. We're going to kind of just start off with introing into it, and it's kind of be a blanket thing, really, in reality, kind of for the rest of the program. So uh, with that, let's dive into the program proper, and uh, here we go. Yeah, so, um, yeah, uh, story of Mary at the tomb. Uh, did you know that it's all about uh, the importance of learning how to embrace the new? Yeah, here's Robert Hodgkin of uh, xpmedia.com, that's the Patricia King gang. Uh, it trying to explain to us uh, the, from the story of Mary at the tomb of Jesus that uh, we are, well, that w- this is a story about us learning how to embrace the new thing that God is doing. And the twist, the major premise, the twist that, you know, so he jumps the tracks at the very beginning of this uh, video. So let's get right Today, into it. What, yeah, here we go. Here's Robert Hodgkin. What I want to talk about is coming into the new thing. And, and Okay, so we're going to talk about the new thing. All right. And right now you can probably feel it. We're in this season of change, this season of shifting, this season of transition. No, I, I don't feel it. No. See, and, and see, that's where the jump occurs, right there. You see, he's. We, we, I want to talk about embracing the new, you know, and the, it, you probably feel it. We're in this season of change, the season of the shift, which, by the way, I don't know what it is with charismatics and that word, shifting. I mean, you know, I, I used to, you know, drive uh, um, a manual transmission automobile. Loved uh, manual transmission, by the way. My favorite kind of car to drive. And uh, and I would like to shift from first to second to third and then shift down in the fourth and then, you know, get it up to speed and f- shift it on into fifth, you know. But don't put it in reverse while you're going forward. That, you know, that could be bad. But the uh, the point is, is that, you know, I'm all – I understand, you know, shifting is an important thing. But I don't understand what it is with this word with uh, people. So this is where the uh, the teaching officially jumps the tracks. You probably are feeling it. You're probably feeling like there's major change, major shifting, major. I don't feel nothing. You know, I you know, I I feel like fall is arriving rather early this year. But then again, I've moved to North Dakota, you know. And so, I mean, no joke. I mean, you you, you walk outside and some of the trees, they're already beginning to kind of have patches on the trees where they're turning yellow. And it's still August. And this is making me very nervous. <laughs> Thinking. Ooh, it's going to be winter before we know it, and you know I'm not used to winter or fall arriving so soon. But anyway, so I feel that yes, there's a change in the seasons, but I'm talking about weather. This is a kind of a normal thing. But so this is where he jumps the tracks. Okay, he sets everything up with this idea. Oh, there's a shift occurring. There's a new thing happening. You've probably felt it. 
if you've if you've felt that there's a new thing in the spirit happening, you know, may I suggest that probably you need to take some Pepsid, you know, or you know maybe eat an orange or something. It's, it could be low blood sugar, you know, things like that. You know, you, you don't we don't base Christian doctrine on your feelings or experiences. We base them on the written word of God. So now he's going to dive into a biblical text. But watch what he does with this, because the setup already is in the beginning with this, you're probably feeling things shifting and stuff like that. So let me back this up so you can hear it in context, and we will keep going. Here we go. Today, what I want to talk about is coming into the new thing. And and right now, you can probably feel it. We're in this season of change, this season of shifting, this season of transition. We've been talking about it a bit in the past. And what I want to talk to you about today is how we navigate seasons like this. And we see a great example of what how how to navigate these seasons as Jesus leads Mary in John 20. So if you have your Bibles with All right, yeah. So open up your Bible to John chapter 20. Now notice what he's doing with this. The setup is we're in a season that's of shifting and John 20 then apparently is is basically a road map on how to navigate seasons of shifting and to which I basically say you really I thought John chapter 20 is about giving us an eyewitness account of Jesus' bodily resurrection from the grave, which then actually proves that Jesus is who he claimed to be, none other than God in human flesh. You see what I'm saying here? But uh, we continue. If you open up to John 20, and I'm going to read starting in verse 11. In John 20, 11, it says, Mary was standing outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, she stooped and looked in. She saw two white-robed angels sitting at the head and foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Why are you crying? The angels asked her. Because they've taken away my Lord, she replied, and I don't know where they've put him. She glanced over her shoulder and saw someone standing behind her. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. Why are you cry- crying, Jesus asked her. Who are you looking for? Now, I want to stop there just for a minute. Before- okay, so he's read the text. Now, did the text say anything about seasons of shifting? No. Um, what's going on? This is the, the day of Jesus' resurrection. Okay, kind of a big deal. Now, could you say, well, 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 Chris, you know, this is this is a big season of shifting. Y- y- well, okay, sure. And the shift then is going to be from the old covenant to the new covenant. Okay, you know, it, this is not some roadmap that we're supposed to look for, so that when we feel like, oh, well, <gasps> I'm feeling it, I'm feeling it. Oh, this is a big season of shifting. Can't you feel it? I, I feel it. I feel it. I feel it. Oh, how do we navigate such a thing? I don't know what to do. Oh, I know. Let's take a look at how. Uh, how Mary navigated this in the story of Jesus' resurrection. You see, this is a twisting of God's word. And what he's doing, he's reading something into it based upon a feeling that he's had. You know, But that feeling has nothing to do with what God is really up to. You see what I'm saying? Before we go on. Here we are in this season of transition. Mary and the disciples, Jesus has been talking to them about what's going to happen. They're in the midst of coming into everything he said. Everything has gone just as he told them it would. But it hasn't gone how they expected it to. So they're confused. They're scared. Mary is... Yeah, um, they didn't expect Jesus to get crucified, even though he told them that that was what's going to happen. Yeah. Struggling with this season of transition. She's season of transition. Notice he's overlaying this on the text. She's gone to the tomb looking for the Jesus that she she's known for yeah. all these years, and he's not there. The body is gone. And what I find interesting is first the angel and then later Jesus say, Why are you crying? 
And isn't it interesting that here, you know, we know Jesus. We know he's love. We know he's compassion. We know he's kindness. So he's not being hard-hearted like, why are you crying, woman? It's from that place of compassion. And the angel's the same thing, from the place of heaven's compassion, saying, why are you crying? Because heaven, Jesus, wants to shift our perspective in times like this and seasons like this. Uh, Whoa, whoa, whoa. What do you mean, you know, this story shows that God wants to shift my perspective? That's silly. That's ridiculous. This text doesn't say anything about God wanting me to shift my perspective or God wanting to shift my perspective for me. Let me show you something important in this text. And this is where a good exegete will pay attention to all of the data in the text. Okay, let's read the story. John chapter 20, verse 11. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stopped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and the other at the feet. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, Well, they've taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Right. So they're thinking they've stolen the body, right? So having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Now, what happens when you weep? Think about it for a second. What happens to your eyes? They fill with tears. That's what's happening here. She is a wreck so much so she can't even see straight for real. Okay, So she doesn't recognize Jesus. Jesus said, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, now watch this. He said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher, right? So so what's the reason she didn't recognize him? She's weeping. She's got big tears in her eyes her eyes and the waterworks are going and she thought she didn't recognize jesus because she was weeping and if the text makes it clear she had turned away from jesus because after he said to her mary she turned around and said to him in aramaic rabboni so the reason she didn't recognize him she's weeping and then she'd kind of turned away and the text makes it clear that she turns back towards him This is what's going on here. This has nothing to do with God wanting to shift your perspectives or anything like that. This is a historical narrative of an eyewitness account of what took place on the day when Jesus rose from the grave. That's its purpose. That's its message. There's not a second level to this where what's really going on here is this is a map to teach us how to you know, embrace the new thing that God is supposedly doing, you know, so that we can learn how to shift when you feel like things are shifting. He wants to shift our perspective in times of transition and seasons of shifting so that we're not grieving what has been, but we're looking to what is coming forth. We're not grieving that we don't understand what's going on, but we're excited that God's promises are coming forth. Uh, Yeah, again, this text has nothing to do with that. You're reading that into it. So Jesus says, why are you crying? Who are you looking for? And Mary, who thinks Jesus is the gardener at this point, says, sir, if you've taken him away, tell me where you've put him, and I will go and get him. Mary, Jesus said, she turned toward him and exclaimed, teacher, 
And immediately Jesus says to her, Don't cling to me, Jesus said, for I haven't yet ascended to the Father. But go find my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, my God and your God. Mary Magdalene found the disciples and told them, I have seen the Lord. Then she gave them his message. So here's Mary. She's in this transition time. Jesus Transition time. Notice he keeps saying that. She's in this transition time. Text doesn't say anything about Mary being in a transition time. He is bringing her and everyone in to everything he's promised, but she's not recognizing him. She doesn't recognize him. She thinks he's the gardener at first. She has come looking for the Jesus that she's known. Um, what? She has come looking for no, what she has known of. No, she came looking for a body. That's what the text says. You know, tell me where you've laid him and I'll take him away, she said. She came looking for a body. She didn't come looking for the Jesus she knew. She came looking for a corpse of God. And when she sees Jesus in this new place, in this new season, transitioning into the fullness of everything he said was going to happen so he can bring all of us into the fullness of everything he's promised. Huh? Her first response is not to recognize him, to not recognize the new thing, the new time, the new season. But uh, No, that she didn't recognize the risen Jesus because she was looking for a corpse and she was weeping because they had taken his body away. Yeah, again, just pay attention to the te- de- details of the text. The text tells you what's going on. When he speaks her name and he says, Mary, all of a sudden her eyes are open. Because here's the thing to remember. Even if we don't recognize or understand what God is doing in any given season, when we know that he is with us, when we choose to believe that, and Jesus reinforces that in that moment, he says, Mary, I'm right here. Mary, I know you're confused. I know you're grieving, but there's no need to. I am with you. And her eyes are open. But the first thing she cries out is she says, teacher. She calls him rabbi. She refers to him and relates to him as she's known him for all these years, as she's walked the earth with him and learned from him. And Jesus says something interesting. He says, do not cling to me. And that word in the Greek, let me read that word to you in the Greek. Make sure I get the the pronunciation close. It's haptomai, and it means to touch or to cling to the flesh. In other words, what Jesus is saying is, don't cling to what you have known of me. Uh, no. Um, <laughs> do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Yeah, she was grasping onto him. That's what the text says. When I walk the earth in the flesh. Yeah, stop clinging to my teacherly thing. I, I'm in a new season now. Didn't you feel the shift? Don't cling to what you have known, but embrace who I am. In other words, Jesus is helping Mary in this season of transition, in this time of shifting, by saying, hey, Don't just hold on to what you've had of me, what you've known of me. What I want you to do is I want you to embrace relationship with me. What? See, if we cling to what we have known of the Lord, if... Uh Uh-huh. So this is... Yeah, see, listen, you don't want to cling to the old ideas about Jesus and and whatever the the Lord has been doing for the past 10 years. Well, stop clinging to that because he's going to do a new thing. This text doesn't say that at all. Mary had clinged to just knowing him as rabbi. She never would have come to know him in the fullness of risen Lord. And in that, no. (laughs) Stop clinging to the rabbi thing. I'm now risen Lord. Come on, Mary, get with the program. That's not what he was saying. The fullness of what the risen Lord makes available to us. So Jesus is gently saying to her, Mary, 
I love you. Don't cling to what you have known of me, but embrace relationship with me. Don't cling to what you have known of me. Yeah, there isn't a single biblical scholar or you know, literally scholarly commentary on the Gospel of John that would say such a load of nonsense. You kind of get the picture of what's going to be going on here in today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. Fractured Bible stories is our theme today. Now, and I, I rarely talk about our theme. So, uh, yeah, what we're going to do right now is we are going to uh, take our first break. And if you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com. Or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Pirate Or follow me on Twitter. My name there, at Pirate Quick break when we come back. We've got uh, the story of the uh, of the prodigal son, the story of the rich young ruler, and the feeding of the 5,000. Yeah, stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. Again, fractured Bible stories. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Unless your righteousness surpasses that of Rick Warren, you cannot be saved. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> Circus Church would like to again apologize. Normally, we try to do parody here at Marty Python's Flying Circus Church. Unfortunately, the church continues to just parody itself. Case in point, Rabbi Michael Zeitler's anointed shofar CD. This is a real commercial. When Rabbi Michael Zeitler blows the shofar, miracles take place. He wants to see God break every stronghold of the enemy in your life, healing you emotionally, physically, even in your relationships, bringing salvation to your entire household. Call now and receive both Rabbi Michael Zeitler's anointed audio CD, Sound of the Shofar, plus his brand new prophetic book, Why Israel is Supernatural, for a donation of $25. Shipping and handling is included. Ask for offer number 9081. Listen to this anointed audio CD. Allow God's glory to fill the room as Rabbi Rabbi Zeitler shares from the scriptures and then blows the shofar over every issue you are facing, including mental and emotional disorders, confusion, fear, stress, grief, nightmares, insomnia, pain, sickness and disease, addictions, eating disorders, weight loss, injustices, persecution, finances, marriages, rebellious children, freedom from the occult and demonic oppression, and so much more. Through Rabbi Zeitler's brand new prophetic book, Why Israel is Supernatural, you will learn how you and your family can obtain supernatural protection in the midst of the end time judgments about to be unleashed on planet Earth. Don't miss out on getting both Rabbi Michael Zeitler's anointed audio CD Sound of the Shofar, plus his brand new prophetic book, Why Israel is Supernatural for a donation of $25. Shipping and handling is included. Ask for offer number 9081. Call or write today.
No, seriously. Starfleet wouldn't have lasted two minutes against the Death Star. Say what you want, dude. Why can't you admit that Star Trek created proton torpedoes first? So what are you saying? Without proton torpedoes, Luke Skywalker would never have been able to destroy the Death Star in the first place. Nuh-uh, bro. He had the Force. You mean metachlorians? That never happened. Those movies were just bad fanfics. Hey, have you two seen any Daleks around here? Uh, no. That's funny. We just picked up a distress signal and decided to check it out. Well, we haven't seen any... Come on, you two, get in! Run! Never fear, nerds of the world. It doesn't matter whether you're into Star Wars, Star Trek, or Doctor Who. Think Geek has something for almost every fandom around. Celebrate your love of all things nerdy by going to www.piratechristianradio.com forward slash geek. And by clicking on the ad banner, a portion of your purchase will go to supporting Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. Warning, listening to Fighting for the Faith will cause you to become supremely dissatisfied with those who fracture Bible stories and just make stuff up that's actually not in the biblical texts. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you, your generous gifts, financial contributions, in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith 2 into the world, and you can partner with us. It's a partnership. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $8.95 every month to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. That is a great way to support us. And if you would like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you could do so by clicking on the donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to post office box 1334. Four, four, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And let me thank you for your support because we cannot really, for hon- honestly, we cannot do what we're doing here without your support. And a reminder, we're in the middle of our summer bake sale. If you have not uh, taken a look at and purchased uh, the your 2014 Pirate Christian Radio t-shirt, go to fightingforthefaith.com. And at the top of the website, it says bake sale. Click on the bake sale link and uh, you can uh, see this year's, uh, you know, uh, design as well as we still have a few left over from previous years. You can purchase those as well. Again, fightingforthefaith.com. Click on the bake sale and get your 2014 Pirate Christian Radio t-shirt today to help us make budget, especially during the lean summer months. Okay, moving along. This is going to be another example of uh, what we're calling today fractured Bible stories. Fractured Bible stories. And the reason they're fractured is because what we're hearing Ain't what's in the uh, the text itself. We're going to be hearing now from uh, C3 Church in San Diego from one of their pastors, Pastor Jurgen uh, Mathesius. Yeah, yeah, what a name, Jurgen Mathesius. And we're going to be listening to him as he comes up with, well, what I would consider to be one of the most bizarre 
um, readings of the story of the prodigal son that I have ever, ever heard. And again, this is under the bigger category of, well, fractured Bible stories. Here we go. All right, who's ready for the word? Come on, how many people know it's relationship month? Let me, let me just say this. At this church, whether you like it or not, if you can stick around, you're going to hear it again and again and again that God wants you to be blessed. Okay. Yeah. Can you say prosperity heresy? I want you to be blessed. I, I honestly thought, I thought the easiest thing that I'd be able to ever say in San Diego is that God wants you to be blessed. Really, it, it should have just been a statement and then I could move on. But I found that as I would say, God wants you to be blessed, immediately there was kind of a, a an outpouring of question, an outpouring of criticism, an outpouring of critique that, that somehow God doesn't want you to be blessed. Well, see, the thing is, is that God doesn't promise us in this life material blessings. No, the blessings that we're really to experience. Now, God promises to meet our needs here. This is what he does promise. But he doesn't promise that we're going to be healthy, wealthy, and wise, okay? Um, you know, it's through death and resurrection that uh, Christ is taking us into his eternal kingdom. Yeah, that's kind of the thing. And so this idea that somehow God wants you to be blessed, well... These guys come up with the most clever ways of mangling God's word and twisting it, in this case, fracturing God's word and the biblical stories to make it look like, oh, it's all about, you know, God's going to bless you as soon as you start forking over money to the uh, vision casting leader or something like that. Let's continue. Well, that, you know, that we, we preach a prosperity gospel. We preach the gospel and it is full of prosperity. It is full of prosperity. So, you know, Jennifer Fors beautiful testimony. You know, you, you may have even got a little bit, oh, you know, I'm making more money now than, and that's where God wants you to live. Now, absolutely. Does she, does she have a temptation she's going to have to fight? Absolutely. The temptation to keep it all herself. And here's the truth. At some point, at some point, every single, every single person, whether they're rich, Donald Trump, or whether they're poor, has made a decision they're keeping it all to themselves. As soon as you keep it all to yourselves, a ceiling comes over your life. Oh, wow. Which text are you reading from again? As soon as you decide to keep all your money to yourself, then an invisible ceiling. Yeah, you can't see it. But Oh, I made a decision to keep it all to myself. Yeah, no, there's an invisible ceiling that you're going to hit. Bible says that God gives seed to the sower. Uh-huh. God gives seed to the sower. And apparently, yeah, m- money is just like bird seed, you know? So you determine the ceilings over your life. Uh-huh. So I-, I determine the ceilings over my life? Which biblical text again says that? How many people remember the, the story of the prodigal son? So the story of the prodigal son teaches that I s- determine the ceilings over my life when it comes to financial blessing? Really? The rest of you, there's a story called the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. And uh, what's interesting is, you, you know the story, he leaves, you know, takes his father's inheritance, spends it on wild living, he's there in Vegas. The Bible says a famine comes into the land. The reason a famine comes into the land is because the world has famines because the world is not enough. James Bond had to make a movie, the world is not enough. The world will never satisfy you. Listen to me, there is no man or woman, there's no drug, there's no alcoholic beverage, 
There is no excitement. There's no thrill. There's no adventure in this world that will ever satisfy you. Because the Bible says you were created by God for God. And so the Bible says a famine came into the land and he began to be in want. And he's kind of connected to this guy who sends him out into the, the field to feed swine. Jewish boy feeding pigs. And you'll find that when you get really desperate, you'll start feeding what's unclean in your life because you're so... (laughs) Oh, this is bad. Wait till we get to the next segment, though. Really? So uh, you'll you'll start feeding the things that are unclean in your life. That's what this story is about? To fill what's missing. But unclean and perversion will never fill and satisfy your life. And then listen to what the Bible says. It says, and then he came to himself and said... How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and yet here I am perishing with hunger. I know what I will do. I will arise and I will go back to my father. What was it that reminded him of the kingdom? What was it that reminded him of what he was missing out on? It was the prosperity of the servants in the house. Uh, oh, see, there you go. I had no idea. Did you know that the story of the prodigal son is actually a story of prosperity? Wow. And the reason the devil has attacked us, I'm telling you, you know, we did five weeks of Moneyopoly, six services a week, so 30, 30 services over five weeks. There wasn't a service where we didn't lose people, where people didn't walk out. Now I'm preaching a chant. Those would be your Bible-believing you know, people who actually understand what the Bible teaches. They, they had discernment and left, right? Today, because you hung in there. And, uh, so the only people left are those who've, who've bit on the bait, and now they're, they're hooked on this uh, false teaching. That's why you're still here, but uh, uh, it wasn't. A, and I wanted to cut it short, but I just felt God say, "No, no, no." And I'm telling you, it's the you felt God say, "Contested area that somehow God doesn't want you to be blessed. God doesn't want you to be prosper because the devil does not want a church when people are back and when people are away that remember, my God, how many people in my father's house have bread enough and to spare." Yeah, see, the devil doesn't want you to think about prosperity, <laughs> really. I thought the devil didn't want people to preach the gospel. I thought the devil was all about keeping people from hearing about Jesus and being brought to penitent faith in him for the forgiveness of their sins. And you're saying that, oh, the devil's out there trying to keep people from hearing about the story of prosperity. Now let's take a look at Luke 15. Okay, You'll notice that the story of the prodigal son is part of a series of parables that work together. Uh Uh-huh. So the setup for the story of the parable of the prodigal son actually is in Luke 15, verse 1. So we'll apply our three rules for sound biblical exegesis, context, 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 and we'll see what's going on here. Is this all about prosperity? No, not at all. Here's what it says. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear Jesus, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So that's the setup here. We've got a problem. The Pharisees are upset because, get this, no no kidding. There's sinners eating with Jesus. Gasp. And see, the weird part of it is is that if the Pharisees were eating with Jesus too, there would be a whole bunch of other more, you know, probably more sinful sinners eating with Jesus. But see, they didn't see themselves as sinners. So Jesus told them this parable. 
Which man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulder rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Okay, That's parable number one in this context where the Pharisees are grumbling because the sinners are eating with Jesus. Parable number two. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp? And sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Huh? And he said there was a man who had two sons. Now this is the story of the prodigal son. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me, which basically means I'm really upset that you're not dead yet. So, you know, just give me this, the money. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into the far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? Now notice he is thinking about the fact that his father's servants have something to eat, but the story doesn't stop there. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. This is the confession that he wants to say to his father, confessing what he has done is wrong. And, well, he wants a little bit of a quid pro quo here, okay? He's thinking he can kind of bargain in some sense give up his sonship just so that he can be fed, just so that he can have something to eat. He's not trying to be prosperous. He's still trying to survive. And so he rose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced and kissed him. Here comes the confession. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. True, true. And now... The father doesn't let the rest of it get out. But the father said to his servant, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. And now his older son was in the field, and he came and drew near to the house. He heard music and dancing. Notice the celebration when the sinner repents. That's kind of a common theme in all of the parables. So there's music and dancing, and he called one of his servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and their father has killed the fatted calf because he's received him back safely and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. And his father came out and entreated him, and he answered his father, 
look, these many years I've served you and I've never disobeyed your command, yet you never even gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friend. But when his son, when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him? And he said to him, son, you are always with me. And all that I have is all that I, all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. This is the parable that the parables that Jesus told to the Pharisees who were grumbling because Jesus was eating and receiving sinners. That's what the story is about. Prosperity? No, not at all. But talking about prosperity, talking about prosperity, um, let's take a listen to a recent, and I do mean recent, message delivered by David Crank of uh, Faith Church in St. Louis. And uh, he's going to be explaining to us details, if you would, of the, uh, the par- well, the, not the parables, the story of the uh, feeding of the 5,000 and the story of the rich young ruler. That's actually, he's going to do it in reverse order from that. So, Listen carefully to the details, and we'll take a look at what's going on in Scripture and see if, uh, well, David Crank is rightly handling God's Word. Here we go. I want to talk to you a minute about being blessed of God. God wants you blessed. I meet a lot of people on the streets of St. Louis and our church in Palm Beach who, they have some money. and they, they have a good Now, isn't it weird that, you know, if God really wants me blessed, you mean financially blessed, why doesn't he just go to the passages that say, thus saith the Lord, I want you to be healthy, wealthy, and, and blessed like that, you know, the, in the prosperity heresy terms. Why don't they just go to those texts? They, they Well, because those texts don't exist. So they have to twist God's word. And they go, I don't want to give that up. You know, when you serve God, you can have money and serve God. Some of the things have been kind of misconstrued by some teachers. It's not that God doesn't want you to have money. It's not that God doesn't want you to be blessed. It's that God doesn't want money having you. Well, what about that rich young ruler guy? What what about him? The Bible said that there was this rich young ruler who came to Jesus and he said, what must I do to be saved? What, What must I do to receive eternal life? And Jesus said to him, and he quotes the big 10, right? Thou shalt not kill and commit adultery. He goes through them all. And then this young man says, well, I've done all that since my mother's, you know, just upbringing. I mean, I've never done any of those wrong things. But the Lord looks at him and said, well, there's one thing you lack. Go sell all that you have and give it to the poor. And then you'll have eternal life. And so he walked away sad at that saying. He walked away going, oh, man, I can't do that. His disciples, the Bible, if you read that passage in the Synonymous Gospels, they were quite shocked and they said, well, how do we enter the kingdom of God? In other words, I'm a physician, Luke says. I've got money. Uh, Luke said, I'm a physician, I've got money. Which biblical text does Luke say that? Because Luke is not actually an eyewitness. He interviewed the eyewitnesses. He never had a conversation with Jesus. Uh huh. Yeah, that's right. Read the opening portion of the Gospel of Luke, and you find out Luke was not an eyewitness. He interviewed the eyewitnesses to compose his gospel. So, where in the Gospel of Luke does it say that Luke said, "Well, well, Jesus, how can I be saved? I'm a physician. I have money." Answer: He didn't say it. Talk about fractured Bible stories. Another says, "Well, I, you know, I got that big fishing business with all those multiple boats, and how do I enter in?" And Jesus. So, and another one said, "Hey, listen, I've got this really large fishing business." Which text are you reading this from? Essentially at them and says, no, you guys have a right relationship with money. People who have a wrong relationship with money 
their God is their money and I will have no other gods before me. See, God wants to bless his people because he knows when you have a right relationship money with money, you can do the right thing and change lives with it. And ah, so that's what God wants. Notice he said that's what God wants. Now notice he's referring to a Bible story, but, you know, of course, you know what he wasn't doing? Reading from a biblical text. He wasn't exegeting. He was summarizing the story. And the details got really um, fishy, if you would. So let's take a look at the uh, Matthew 19 account of this story of the rich young ruler. Matthew 19, starting at verse 16. Here's what it says. Behold, a man came up to Jesus saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Here we go again, trying to earn a gift, right? So he said to him, why do you ask me about what is good? There's only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. Okay, now notice Jesus already said, oh, there's only one who is good. Uh huh. So he said to him, well, which ones, which commandments? And Jesus said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. All second table of the law, second table of the law, deals with our relationship to each other as humans. So the young man said to him, well, all of these I've kept, what do I still lack? And Jesus said to him, well, if you would be perfect, go and sell what you possess and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions, which means his problem was a first table problem, idolatry, right? So Jesus said to the disciples, truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Did you catch that? Notice that uh, David Crank didn't say that. Only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. And again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. It's, yeah, this should serve as a warning for those who want to pursue wealth and riches, right? So when the disciples heard this, now here's the part that he twisted really bad. Um, they were greatly astonished, saying, well, then who can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With man, this is impossible. With God, all things are possible. So then Peter said in reply, See, we've left everything and followed you. What then will we have? Notice Peter didn't say, well, What about my fishing business? I've got a bunch of boats. He says, We have left, forsaken, abandoned everything in order to follow you. What then will we have? Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you will have you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Notice Jesus says, In the new world. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands, for my name's sake, will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. Where does Jesus promise the hundredfold blessing for those who've left everything in the new world, the new creation? That's what the text says. But, uh, well, David Crank, you know, his telling of the story is rather fascinating because you have Luke, the physician, saying, well, hey, I, I, I've got money. I'm a doctor. And, and Peter saying, well, I've, I've got a multi-bolt fishing business. What about me, Jesus? And Jesus saying, oh, that's okay. You've got a right relationship with money. Whew, wow. This twisting continues, though. We continue. Also, be blessed of God by trusting in him. An, another incredible story. Jesus is preaching to, the Bible says, 5,000 men were gathered and 
They, of course, in Bible days didn't acknowledge women. If there was 5,000 men, there were 5,000 women. And there were 5,000 men, 5,000 women, and no cable TV. There were 27,000 kids. <laughs> Jesus has all these people listening to him, and all of a sudden he shows up, and the disciples come up and say, hey, the people are getting restless. They're getting hungry. They need to eat. Should we go buy them food? Right there, we know how could they buy food for all those people if the disciples didn't have money? There was no lack. Man. The Gospel of Matthew, chapter 14. Now, when Jesus heard this, he withdrew there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. When the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Now, when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. Uh-huh. Yeah. What? Notice this point that, uh, that Crank is making. He's saying that the disciples were saying, Let's buy them something to eat. Listen again. Jesus has all these people listening to him, and... All of a sudden, he shows up, and the disciples come up and say, hey, the people are getting restless, they're getting hungry, they need to eat. Should we go buy them food? Should we go buy them food? That, again, that's what he said. Let me read it from the Gospel of Mark, okay? So he began to teach them. This is Gospel of Mark chapter 6, verse 34. And he began to teach them many things, and when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. Matthew and Mark agree. Buy themselves something to eat. Jesus answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread? Yeah, that's about all they had. You know, a denarii is like a day's wages. That wouldn't have been able to do the, the job to feed, you know, 5,000 men, 5,000 women, and 27,000 children. You, know, you see what I'm saying here? Um, yeah, so David Crank here, he is blatantly, blatantly fracturing and twisting God's word. Let's continue. Right there, we know. How could they buy food for all those people if the disciples didn't have money? There was no lack. The Lord is my shepherd. I uh, the text makes it very clear. They lack the resources to purchase bread for everybody. Not lack. Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. Psalm 35, 27, it says, let them shout for joy and be glad who favor my righteous cause. Let them say, can you? Yeah, ripping these other passages from the Old Testament out of context and applying them in this context doesn't change what the text says. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all agree that the disciples had not, did not have the resources to feed f the, f the, the multitude. They had, did not have it. And they wanted to send the crowd away so the crowd can go into the villages and buy food for themselves. They let the Lord be magnified. He's magnified in the prosperity of his people. God wants you to be blessed. Jesus says, no, don't, don't go, buy, go buy bread. One of the other disciples said, we, we wouldn't know where to go anywhere. There's no Sam's in the area, no Costco, where we get this much bread. Jesus says something interesting. He says, what do we have on the property? Well, there's a young lad here, and he has five loaves and two fish. Not nearly enough to do this. Jesus says, bring it to me. And watch how God does this. They bring it to Jesus, put it in his hands. And it says, Jesus, break it. He blessed it. And lifted it up in prayer to God. He broke it off. 
And then all of a sudden there was so much multiplication, they began to share the food. And it says that everyone ate. The Bible says that everyone ate until they were satisfied. It wasn't like anybody was hungry. They were full and they were satisfied. And there were 12 baskets left over. See, God is not a God of just enough. He's a God of more than enough. He is not El Chipo. He's El Shaddai. He wants to meet all of your needs and the needs of other people. Now they they go back to the little lad and they give him these 12 baskets that are left over. 12, the 12, representing the 12 tribes, representing the 12 disciples. He, he walks away with the 12 disciples and he's walking home. And I'm sure there were people saying, oh, what in the world's he gonna do with all that? He doesn't deserve that. He was the only investor. <sighs> so now we've, we've added to scripture. Okay, now we have the story of the aftermath where apparently the 12 baskets were given to the, the original kid who who you know gave up his sack lunch for the uh, for this affair and now he he's the kid given the 12 baskets and why well because he was the only investor unbelievable i mean this is absolutely breathtaking fracturing god's word like this and again this is what the apostle peter warns us about in his second epistle let me read it again Beloved, since you are waiting for these things, be diligent and be found in Jesus without spot or blemish and at peace. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved Paul, brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given to him, as he does in all of his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and the unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. That's right. These are blatant examples of twisting God's word. And in the case of of David Crank, of literally adding details into these texts that are contrary to the details that are written in the text and adding details at the back of the text, uh, you know, know, in the back of the story that are not in the text at all. This is not the work of Jesus or the Holy Spirit because Jesus himself makes it very clear that it is Satan who is the father of lies. That's right. And what you heard in each case was nothing but a pack of lies, spiritual lies, mangling, twisting God's word by unstable people who are twisting God's word to their own destruction and maybe even to the destruction of those who are listening to them. All right, we are up on our second break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there at pirate Christian. Quick break. When we come back, we're going to head back to Narrate Church in Helena, Montana, and listen to a sermon from a guest preacher on embracing your weird. Yeah, no, weird. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. No itching ears are scratched here. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Pirate Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... <laughs>
listening to Byron Christian Radio. Don't pay more for travel than you need to. Hi, Chris Roseborough here to tell you about Pirate Christian Radio's featured advertiser, Cheapo Air. Cheapo Air is a leading provider of airline tickets, hotel rooms, and rental cars. Cheapo Air has extensive partnerships with the top travel brands in the world. Now, whether you need to travel for business or for pleasure, Cheapo Air can help you save money. And if you visit our website, piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, we have a promo code that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheapo Air's already low prices. So visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code, then click on the banner and book your low-cost travel today. And remember, a portion of your purchase at Cheapo Air goes to support Pirate Christian Radio. We're back, hour number two of Fighting for the Faith Sermon Review Time. It's going to be a weird sermon, pun intended. Let's do this right. Bad the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. We're still in the middle of this, well, near the end of the summer season, which means that at the secret driven mega churches, you know, they've got uh, the third string uh, backup guys who uh, come in and do the preaching. Yeah, this is probably a fourth stringer, and his name is Brian Manley, and you're going to be hearing him deliver a sermon entitled Pursuing Your Weird. And my question is, is this a sermon or is this a pep talk from a man who missed his calling as a career guidance counselor? <laughs> yeah, it's about the only way I could describe it. <laughs> yeah, so uh, grab some popcorn, some fuzzy bunny slippers, make yourself comfortable uh, as we continue with our theme for the day, Fractured Bible Stories. And... Uh, <clears throat> Brian Manley's sermon entitled, Pursuing Your Weird, delivered at Narrate Church in Helena, Montana. Here we go. Uh, guys, it is so great to be back here in Helena. Uh, I really like being here. I was here three years ago. You guys had me come out and speak. And uh, I just love being around here. Just seeing mountains is refreshing. Like, you have no idea what it's like to just see. <laughs> like, to see mountains is like, ha, ah, I even texted a picture of my wife, like a, a bad picture from my cell phone of a mountain kind of smoky. And the first thing she said was like, I miss mountains. And so I'm like, so well, you can come to Helena next time. Uh, well, it's been, so it's been three years. And last time I was here, I think I lost a little bit more hair. Uh, I put on a little bit of beef. Uh, my beard somehow has gotten more gray. I don't know how I'm 35 and yet I feel like I have the beard of an 80 old, like wise man. But other, and I also had a lot more free time when I was here three years ago, because a year and two months ago, I had a baby girl. Let's see if we can show a picture. To get you guys, that's not her, I promise. There, 
There we go. That's my daughter. Yeah, see, everyone, I just wanted to get the Oz going because it makes me feel so good. I never thought I'd be the dude who, like, when people are, like, I hate it when people talked about kids before. And I would, like, show me their picture. I'm like, yeah, she's cute. Now I'm like, look at the picture of my daughter. She's on a tricycle. It's so cute, right? And so I'm now that, oh, see. Is this family photo sharing time? I thought the purpose of a sermon is for the pastor, and this guy's not a pastor, is to preach the word. Are we hearing the word of Christ? See, that's her first birthday party. She had cake and had, she got the sugar rush. It was great. Um, so that's what's been going on in my life. And uh, Adam asked me to come out today to share with you a little bit about what I do in my design world. But before I begin telling you about me, I want to kind of get you guys talking amongst yourselves, get the brain juices flowing. Yeah, too late. You've already talked about you. You've been telling everybody about you since you said hello. About you're weird. Not, not, well, you are weird, but you're weird. The thing that makes you, you, you want people to be thinking about their weird, their what? You weird, the thing that you're into, the thing you're passionate about. So right now I ask you a question. If you could do anything, career, hobby, or otherwise, money, don't worry about it. You're taken care of anything forever. What would it be? So if you could do anything, don't worry about money. You get paid a zillion dollars a year. Don't sweat it. And that's the one thing you wish you could do. Like if I just, if only I could just like bake cakes all day. That's what I want to do or whatever the case may be. I want you to think about it right now. Look to the person to your left, your right, and tell them. It's about being honest and open and transparent right now. All right? So what is your weird? So share it. So what do you want to be when you grow up is kind of what's going on here. Uh-oh, we're giggling. Yeah, I'll fast forward just a little bit while everyone shares what their weird is. What's weird is that this is being done in a church during the sermon time. Okay, so that means you guys are, you're sharing some good things, right? Did anyone ask, accidentally say, like, if I, I would just like to sit and watch Netflix all day? Yeah, well, I found out, by the way, dude, that, that there is Netflix, uh, someone, Netflix is offering a job to somebody to watch it for 24 hours a day for a full year, and you get paid a salary. So that anything is possible in 2014. So anyway, you've got those things in your head, and so just hold on to that, and we're going to talk about that today. But to give you some background on me, I was a youth pastor. To give you some background on me, is that the purpose of a sermon, to give somebody the background on somebody else, or is the job to preach Jesus? And But even before that, I should explain, even when I was in middle school and high school, I felt like a weirdo. Perhaps some of you were like, of course, dude, you're weird. You look funny. And or whatever the case may be. I always felt like a weirdo in that, like the things I was into, not everybody else was into. The bands I liked were the weird bands. The movies I liked were the weird, weird movies. The art I liked, whatever it may be. I always felt like a weirdo. And so, you know, you just kind of go, well, I'm the weirdo. And you go to college and I was like, I'm going to be a high school youth pastor and I'm going to work with high school kids. They're the weirdest people of all. And that's where I was going to focus my energy. So I went to college to get a degree in youth ministry. But all the while... I would always like go to the library instead of studying for like my Old Testament final. I would just read graphic design books for some reason. I was like, that's way more fun than studying about Abraham and things like that. So I'm reading graphic design books and I did pass my test. I did graduate. I did fail biology though. So I must've been really focused on the design books then. But I would read that stuff and I'd always sit at my computer and I'd do art. And like when I was in high school, my dad would come home and bring bootleg copies of Photoshop from China. This is back in the 90s when I guess you could just do that or walk into a place in China like, hey, bootleg Photoshop. And he'd come home and what I would do with it is just simply take a picture of my, the head of my dog off 
like take the picture of my dog and put it on my mom's body and then yelled at by my mom. Like, and it was fun to do that because if no one knows that skill, it's kind of awesome. Like, you're a wizard. You can do that. So I would do these things all the time, being an artist, sort of, but I was always focused on youth ministry. And as I got more into youth ministry, went to Southern California, went to the Crystal Cathedral, big mega church, and I always found myself having to make flyers for everyone's events. So a youth, big, big youth camp thing, I'd be making flyers. And a friend's band in town wanted T-shirts. I'd make them T-shirts. Before you know it, I was doing a ton of stuff on my computer design-wise and also still doing youth ministry. Before you know it, too, I kind of like doing the computer stuff a lot more than working with these crazy high school kids and dealing with all the crazy church bureaucracy they had going on at the time. And so before you know it, I was like, I'm done. I'm going to be an artist. Everyone says that, right? I'm going to be an artist. I had not much to go to. I knew I had some skills. And I jumped into it. I followed my... So is it? This, is this in the gospel of Brian? Is that what this is? I mean, th- this is ridiculous. Who cares about you and your career path? What does this have to do with Christ and his word? I weird into Atlanta, Georgia, where someone was kind enough to see my art and give me a job. And then over time, all of a sudden, it just took off. And I'm doing really cool projects. I was always the guy obsessed with music and movies and things like that. And I get to do music packaging for bands and work with cool people. I know uh, Adam told me I should tell you this only because it helps connect. As an artist, like, I get to do fun stuff. Like, some guy, artist guys get to, like, do spreadsheets, which is cool. Not really fun. But I get to do record art. And I was going to show some pictures, but I forgot to bring them. But I get to work with bands like Manchester Orchestra, Taking Back Sunday. I did some stuff for Zach Brown Band. I know people know who that guy is. And how does this qualify you to preach the word on Sunday exactly? Uh, I've done stuff for Hugh Laurie, who's the guy from that TV show House. He's a blues musician. And I've done some stuff for him. I did some stuff for Chick-fil-A. I've done stuff for chefs and restaurants in Atlanta. Like, I never thought in a million years. Like, a 15-year-old Brian knew that I'd be working with some of his favorite bands from that day or sitting down having a hamburger with his favorite lead singer. He wouldn't believe you. I get to work within my weird. So today we're going to talk about following your weird. Following your weird. I know that sounds a little insane, but I always find the weird things are what make us unique in who we are. And these are the things I always tell people. People ask questions all the time, designer buddies in town, people who uh, are trying to find career advice. And after doing this for 10 years now, I, I get to have a little bit of advice on how to do things, how I would choose to do things. Hopefully today I can share those with you in a fun way. So the first thing I want to talk about it's find something you like to do. The first thing I always tell someone is find something you like to do. You kind of mentioned to your buddy to your left or your right what you would do if money were no object, right? Yeah, the career guidance counselor question, which has nothing to do with preaching the word of Jesus. I think it's super important for, for us to find something to do because it makes us interesting folks. And it gives us something to, to not just kill time with, but as we'll learn later, to honor God with. Finding something to do. It's really interesting. My dad is a... He has a nice business job. He wears like, he used to wear suits back in the day. He worked for Ohio Art, the company that makes the Etch-A-Sketch. Pretty sweet, right? So when I was a kid, he worked at a toy company. Sweet. When I was like college adult, he, or young college, like high school, late, uh, college early, getting out of college age, he worked at a company that made like uh, really low quality uh, assemble yourself furniture. So like, sweet, I have a desk and a bed. And I'm poor. And then, then he started working for Lowe's corporate, like the Home Depot type place. And I'm like, sweet, free lawn equipment. And so my dad's got a cool gig and he's always had fun jobs, but that's not his passion. Like it, it pays the bills. It gets it done. He puts his khakis on, does his thing. 
But what he really loves to do, as soon as he gets home, he's in that garage wrenching on a car. My dad's the crazy dude who will spend hours on Saturday on eBay going, I think there's an old MG that got hit by a tree fell on it up in Massachusetts. They only want $1,000 for it. I should drive up there and go get it. And he'll buy a car on eBay, drive it home, and then that's his new project. (coughs) Excuse me. My dad is crazy about working on cars. He has found his passion. Work is work, but coming home and wrenching on cars is his thing. And so you'll always find him in the garage. I call home to talk about something. Hey, how do I change this? And he's in the garage. Let me go get him. My dad loves to watch this TV show called Chasing Classic Cars. I don't know if you guys have seen that show. It's a really fun show on some car channel. And my dad... Because let me explain. It's a show about this guy named Wayne who goes around finding these really expensive old cars. Sometimes, And what does this have to do with Jesus and God's word? The purpose of the sermon is to preach the word. Sometimes it's like these old Duesenbergs that are worth $2 million are found in someone's barn. And it's just kind of this thrill of the hunt, old car guy show. It, it's really cool. And my dad, he's, my dad's this guy. As soon as the Thanksgiving meal is done... He goes and flops on the couch, and instead of going to the football game, goes straight back to like the chasing car marathon. And so you're like, Dad, the, the Falcons are playing or whatever. So, But he's the guy who watches that show religiously. And we're sitting down watching it after Thanksgiving meal. And this guy, Wayne, is hunting down this old car, this old, uh, I think it was a Shelby Cobra. And he brings it into his garage, and he's having, there's this mechanic in the corner. I'm like, Dad, do you want to be this guy? Like, if you just won the lottery tomorrow, would you be this dude being like, like, have a cool mustache. You go, I'm finding cars. And go hunting cars and go to auctions and do that. And over in the corner is this guy wrenching elbow deep in, like, this 1950s jumpsuit. The guy's in his, like, 70s. He's dirty and busted knuckles. My dad's like, I don't want to be Wayne guy. I want to be that guy. I want to be the dude deep in the car, busting his knuckles, getting dirty. I'm like, you really you don't want to be the dude, like, spending someone else's money? He's like, no. I want to be the guy in it. I don't care about the fame. I don't care about the... Uh, the fortune, the whatever. I like mechanically stuff, mechanical stuff, being in it, getting going on it. My dad knows what he loves to do, and he's found his passion. He's found his weird, which I think is great. <sighs> My mom, on the other hand. Okay, we're not going to record this, right? This is, okay. I don't want her to hear this. My mom is into nothing. <laughs> I don't know how this lady made it this far, but she seems to be into nothing. You go, what restaurant do you want to go to? Oh, I don't know. Like, do you not even care about where we eat? No. My mom seems to be passionless. I know it sounds heartless, but like you ask her what she's into. And here's how you know when you don't, someone's into nothing for the most part. You don't know what to get them for a Christmas present. My dad, you go to get him a car book or a hat or a shifter knob or some cool gloves with knuckles cut out and all that. He's into it. But my mom is just like, oh, I don't know what I want. Like, it's not... I don't even know what to get you. I want to give you something from the past. And so it ends up becoming a gift card. Do you guys know those people in your life? You don't know what to get them. They seem kind of directionless and passionless. It frustrates me to no end. It frustrates my wife to no end. But unfortunately, my mom has not found her passion. So guys, I would challenge you to find your weird and find something and do it. And am I sinning if I don't find my weird? Maybe my weird is exposing people who should be preaching Jesus um, exposing them as Bible twisters and people who are doing what Jesus told them not to do. You know what I'm saying? That might be my weird. Because the second reason, the second point I want to talk about is realizing you are weird. Hate to say it, guys. We're all weird in our own weird way, right? Some of you probably thought that about the person sitting next to you. And uh, 
But I, I take this to mean we are weird and we are talented. We're all gifted. We all have something to offer. And when you try to contextualize this in a spiritual sense, like what does the Bible have to say about career, job, vocation, whatever it may be? It doesn't really talk about like how you need to do your career. Never really, Jesus doesn't talk about that much. But at one time, Jesus in one of the parables talks about the parable of the talents, which is a story where, I'm going to paraphrase. If you guys want to read this in Matthew 25, but what Jesus says... Okay, now <clears throat> let's take a look at Matthew 25. This is kind of important because there's a word in there that a lot of people just assume means a certain thing, and it doesn't, okay? Here's what it says. Matthew chapter 25, verse 14. For the kingdom of heaven will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to one two, and to another another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. Now, the word here in question is the word talent. This is unfortunate for us as uh, English speakers because we hear the word talent and we think, oh, Jesus is handing out, you know, the ability to, you know, sing or the ability to dance or the ability to write or be a graphic artist or a, a guy who likes working on cars. No, a talent is a, well, a talanta. It's, it's a large portion of money, 100 pounds of money. That's what this is. He's basically telling these servants to go do business in his name, each according to his ability. It's not that he's giving some people the ability to dance and sing and and things like that. That's not what's going on here. And when you read this story that way, you kind of miss the point. Okay, let me keep reading. So, he who had received the five talents went at once, traded with them. Uh Uh-huh, yeah, you trade with money. That's what you do, right? And he made five talents more. So also he who had two talents made two talents more. And he who had received one talent went and dug it in the ground and hid his master's money. Uh Uh-huh, now, what this parable is really about, though, is who who trusted and believed their master to be good, right? That's what this is about. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. He who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more. Now watch his response. Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I've made five talents more. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had the two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I've made two talents more. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, he who also had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here's what is yours. Yeah, notice the response there, right? He has no faith in the master. He thinks the master is evil and wicked. And and he said he was afraid, afraid of the master? Really? Afraid. Uh-huh. So he went and hid the talent in the ground. All right. <laughs> here, here, here is what, you, uh, what is yours. But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown, and you gather where I scatter no seed. So then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming 
I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents, for everyone who has will be given more. Having Have what? Have what? Faith. Belief, trust in the master, right? He has, will, And he will give in abundance, but from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken from, away. And cast that worthless servant into outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. In, in other words, um, this text has nothing to do with you embracing your weird. Uh-huh. And to make this a text about embracing your weird is to miss the whole point of the text. We continue. Is... And by the way, I should give you some backtracking. A talent back in the day, potentially, what we understand now, meant like 20 years' work of wages of someone who got paid like minimum wage. So 20 years' worth of cash of what you earn is a talent. And this rich guy, this, the master, goes to his three servants. The master's like, hey, I'm going out to party. I'm going out to vacation. I'm going out again. I told you I'm paraphrasing. Did not mention the word party in the Bible. Uh, but I'm going out. And each of you guys, I need you to take care of some of my money. I'm going to put you in charge. So the first guy, he gives him five talents. Again, that's a lot of cash. It's a lot of money. It's a lot of wage. He gives the guy five talents. The second guy gives him two. And Jesus says at this point, too, he goes, he gave them to each to which they deserved, or what they kind of were supposed to handle, like what they were responsible for. So it's good to know that there's context here that we're all responsible for different amounts of things. So we got five, two, and the last guy, he gave one. According to their ability. So it says, guys, I need you to do something with this money. Be responsible with it. You know how I like excellence. Go make some more money with it. Peace out. I'm going on vacation. I'll be back in a little bit. He didn't give any ex- instructions. He just gave him the money. Also did not say peace out in the Bible. So master comes back. Master come back and goes, all right, guys, let's gather around. Let's see what we did with this money that I left you with all that while ago. First guy with the five talents goes, hey, boss, this is awesome. I doubled the money. I doubled the talents. He goes, here's 10. Master goes, oh, that's so great. Well done. That is awesome. High five. Also not in the Bible. Uh, the second guy, he says, all right, how'd you do, number two? Like, and he's like, I took two talents, made them four. I doubled those as well. Awesome. High five. Third guy. This is where it starts to sound like a bad bar joke. It's the third guy. So here it comes. Third guy said, hey, how'd you do? He goes, look, guy, look, master, I know how much you love excellence. I know how much you love things done right. I know you didn't want me to lose money on this. So I did nothing. I took it and hid it under a rock. Is that cool? Master goes berserk. Master goes, no, 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 no. I asked you to do something with this, and you wasted it. You could have at least taken it to a... No, see, that's the thing. That's not what the text says. Um, No, 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 I I told you to do something with this. That's not what the text says. Uh Uh-huh. He said, but the the master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown, gather where I have scattered no seed... Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. Notice the problem was is that the one with the one talent had no faith or trust or belief in the goodness of the master. It actually believed the master to be evil and said he was afraid, right? So, you know, so that you know, anyway, you should have put it in the money in the bank and, and at least I would have received it back with interest. So, yeah, so um, we've got a problem here. Um, every example that we've brought to the table today here at Fighting for the Faith the person recounting the biblical text hasn't done so actually with the biblical text, and they just are 
morphing and changing and adding to and subtracting from the biblical stories with no pangs of conscience whatsoever. What's the point in having a biblical text if all you're going to end up doing is telling your own story as if it's the biblical text and it's not? To a bank and it would have gathered a couple percent interest. You could have given it to somebody and they would have done something with it. You took this and you hit it under a rock. Hit the bricks. What he tells them. Get out of here. I don't want to see you anymore. You screwed this up. Uh, no, he, yeah, let's again, take a look at the text. What, what happens to that poor little wicked servant? Okay. Okay. So, and cast that worthless servant into outer darkness in that place. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's talking about hell. Yeah. We continue. A lot of people believe that some people believe theologically that that parable is about money management or whatever, but a lot also believe it's about our gifts and our talents, our personal talents. The word talent meant a bunch of money, but as it's turned on in time, it also means our gifts and our skills. It, it actually is about faith in Christ because, you know, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Those who are penitent and have faith in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins actually think Jesus is, is a good guy. You know, a gracious, loving, kind, merciful king and savior and God, right? And they do business in his name by preaching the gospel, telling people about Jesus, loving and serving their neighbor, things like that. Uh-huh, yeah. But those who do not believe in Jesus think that the guy is evil and wicked, and they don't like him. And, you know, you don't expect me to believe in him. I mean, Jesus actually believed that the world was created. And, yeah, and, oh, and he supposedly died for the sins of the world. And, ew, I don't want to believe that. Yeah, see, that's what is going on here. So what Jesus is telling us here is that Master, God, gives us all different things. We know that to be clear. Each what we can handle. Some five, some two, some one. But what he doesn't want from you is to sit on it and waste it. i got to believe nothing makes him more frustrated and angry than wasting good skill and gift. So people go to hell because they, they waste good gifts? I mean, that's the punchline. The, you know, the, the guy who didn't use his talent went to hell. So God's going to send you to hell if you don't use your talents and find your weird. That's the implications of this guy's interpretation. We continue. Realize you are weird. Realize you are gifted. Realize you are skilled. Somewhere deep inside you, there has to be something, right? Because it says so. Realize you are weird. Point number three that I tell people a lot all the, all the time, I'm really passionate about, is be a nerd. All right, we got some nerds in the room. I like it. Be a nerd. So the parable of the talents that Jesus taught is telling us to be nerds. Really? Immerse yourself in the thing that you're into. Immerse yourself in culture. Immerse yourself in whatever you're into, whatever your passions are, whatever your gifts are. As a graphic designer, I even met with a few yesterday that when we get together, us graphic designers can nerd out with the best of them. It starts off, hey, how you doing? How's it going? I, I, I meet with a bunch of graphic designers and artists and creatives in Atlanta every Monday at my friend's barbecue restaurant. And we have this event called Manly Monday. All of us dudes show up. Ladies are invited, but it's called Manly Monday. And we all hang out. And inadvertently, like, we'll just talk about life, any projects we're working on. And somehow it always, every time, turns to nerd fest where we start talking about fonts. We start talking about, have you ever noticed if you go into InDesign and you stroke a graphic and you do this thing and does this weird thing? And it always turns to nerdville. But I love it because that means all of us are deeply immersed in that culture. We're deeply immersed in that world. We're deep. So, again, the parable of the talents that Jesus tells in Matthew 25 is about learning how to be a nerd. 
So am I a sinner if I'm not a nerd? Deeply working in our passion and in our weird. There's an event coming up in Atlanta. By the way, I also say this before I get to that. Being a nerd used to be a bad word, I think. And now the nerds are winning. Because any, all of you probably have in your pocket smartphones that were all created by nerds. And I will love one day to try to explain to my daughter that like nerds used to get beat up and thrown in trash cans and it wasn't cool to be a nerd. And she's like, you got to be kidding me. That Steve Jobs guy got beat up. That guy is like, oh, like that's, that's iPhone's amazing. Everything Apple's amazing. Yeah, believe it or not, way back in my day, nerds were not cool. Your dad was, I know he's cool now, but not then. <laughs> I love when people are deeply invested into what they're passionate about. Case in point, at the end of this month, there's an event in Atlanta that my wife and I get babysitter for. We tell all of our friends. We get, I, get, I get giddy thinking about it. Because if you took Comic-Con in San Diego, this big movie, comic book, nerd convention, boiled it to its ooziest, nerdiest essence, you would have Dragon Con. And in Atlanta every year... And was Jesus telling us about Dragon Con in the Parable of the Talents? How does Dragon Con help us understand the Parable of the Talents? It doesn't. It's a giant festival dedicated to people in love with fantasy, science fiction, comics, movies, you name it. And it is where you let your freak flag fly. It is where nerds hang out. It is where passions abound. My wife and I, what we do... We scurry. It's really highly protected. It's very expensive to go in. And as a looky-loo, you go in, we kind of hole up at this bar, and we just sit and we watch these people in their costumes. It's lots of cosplay where people are dressed up. My favorite tends to be the morbidly obese Spider-Man who has so much confidence in his spandex that he shouldn't in normal public be like, yeah, dude, go for it! There are all sorts of crazy characters from every movie you can think about. My wife and I sit there, and this is where my personal like science fiction nerdiness comes out. She's like, who's that? Oh, that's Deadpool. Who's that? Oh, that's the guy that's in the bar in Star Wars. He shot first. It's weird. Anyway, and so all this stuff goes on, and we just sit, and we don't watch because, look at the freak show. We watch because it's so cool. All these people are celebrating their passion. I think everyone needs to be a nerd at some level. Be a nerd at some level. If you guys want to come to Atlanta in a few weeks, you can come hang out. It'll be fun. Number four, this is a drum I beat quite a bit with my designer buddies. Work within your weakness. Working within your weakness doesn't sound encouraging. It doesn't sound normal. Most people say, follow your strengths. Simply by saying working with your weakness, I mean, you ever notice that person on American Idol who just can't sing and dance? They're really bad at singing, okay at dancing. I would encourage them, all right, you know you can't sing. Let's go over here and do some more dancing. Let's focus on the dancing. My buddies and I, my buddy and I have a screen printing business where we create concert posters. And in the process of creating concert posters, it's an old analog way of doing things where you create a film, it involves ink, it involves some light, and it's really nerdy and it's really fun, but it's pretty precise. Like you have to have your lights all right. You have to have a clean surface. You have to, everything's got to be spotless. But we do this in my buddy's like shed, where his lawnmower, dead cockroaches, and spiders all hang out. And somehow, when we first started out, we thought we were going to print this perfect, clean, pristine, edges-tight poster. We'd go in, burn the screen. I'm like, Roy, we really got to clean this thing up. I can see like a whole family of ants in the corner. 
And so we, ah, we're good. We burn the screen kind of out of laziness and we go to print the poster, pull the screen, pull the first color. Hey, look at that. There's ant corpses all over this thing. And from that point, I was like, what are we going to do? We got to clean this thing more. And so instead of like, probably we should have perhaps maybe tried to tighten up our act a little bit. I said, Roy, how about we design within our weakness? We know we can't do this right. We're always going to have grit and texture and specks of junk on all these prints. Let's start to design like that. So then we can get real lazy and do this like, ah, whatever, because, oh, there's a bug there. Cool. That makes us look more unique and more cool and more special. It's not on the digital version. And that's how we did it. We leaned into our weakness. We leaned into our weakness. I had a thought while talking about or writing this up. You have to humor me for a second. This guy sure does like talking about himself, doesn't he? I'm learning like zip about Jesus. Sure, I'm learning a lot, a lot about this guy. Jesus, nothing. I come from a church out in California where the lead pastor was kind of known for coming up with these really cheeseball spiritual phrases like, turn your scars into stars. <laughs> if you dream it, you can do it. Things like that, which maybe back in the 60s were a big deal. I don't know, but... They were corny. They were blast plastered everywhere. But I came up with one today for us to hopefully help you remember this. Because I really believe this. When you discover your weakness, you'll find your uniqueness. Give it to me. <laughs> but I really... Oh, man. Yeah, and uh, can, can we find that in the Bible, please? I really think it's true. And here's how I can make this better. I'm going to get all Southern gospel uh, preacher on you. Because I'm from Atlanta now. I can do this. So let's try this again. Let your weakness become your uniqueness. Can I get an amen? Yeah. See, it worked. All right. That's great. Now you'll never forget it. You're like, that guy's insane. I really believe if you discover your weakness, you'll find your uniqueness. That's what makes people great. When they discover where they can't do things, they get better because they go the other way. I'm a graphic designer. I'm an artist, and I cannot draw. That's kind of like a swimmer, like in the Olympics, who can't swim, it seems. I don't know what it is, but like my notebook from middle school, my drawings in my notebook from middle school look just like they do now. Like Whatever that look is, I'm sure five years from now, my daughter will draw better than me, and I will hire her to do work. But I then choose not to lean in on not being able to draw. I don't dwell on, I can't do that. I go this way. I fake it till I make it. I find a new way to go. Any metalheads here? Heavy metalheads? No? One, I like it. Oh, so you're a sort of metalhead. Like medium metal, aluminum maybe. Um, so the band Black Sabbath was from, is from England. And... Uh, they're kind of like known as the fathers of heavy metal. A lot of people argue that they invented the heavy metal sound. So now you're going to use Black Sabbath as a sermon illustration to help us understand the parable of the talents? Is that what this is? Really? But growing up in this hard-scrabble town in England, Tony Iommi, the guitar player, while in Black Sabbath early on, accidentally cut like four of the top three of his fingers, I think. As a guitar player, if you cut your fingers, that's kind of a bad thing, right? Somehow he managed a way to create these little plastic caps that go on the tips of his fingers. And then when he started learning to play like that, it created this whole new crazy, like heavy, evil, awesome sound. And because of that, because he lopped off his fingers, I really think we can credit the history of heavy metal to that. He didn't let it beat him down. He let his weakness become his uniqueness. His sound was so original. His sound was so amazing. 
And I thank him daily when I listen to my heavy metal records that he, well, unfortunately lost the tips of his fingers. Also in the book regarding weakness, in the book David and Goliath by Malcolm Gladwell, he talks about these CEOs, these high up dudes who run Fortune 500 companies who are the top of their game. I guess these guys all have like, hey, rich guys, let's get together and hang out parties. And somehow it came about that all these guys, as they would talk and hang out, they were at the top of their game, they would talk and say, start to come up that a lot of these guys growing up, a vast majority of them all had dyslexia as children. And so a guy was like, that's really interesting, and started studying what that meant. And that simply meant that these guys being dyslexic at an early age really had a lot of challenges. It's a major weakness for them. They couldn't study. They couldn't read. They couldn't, like when called upon in the classroom, they probably couldn't read out loud. So they found new ways to kind of work around their weakness. They found new ways to think differently, see things from different angles. And I don't know what it is, but all of these dudes are now at the top of their game working for these big companies. They let their weakness become their uniqueness, and they learn from it. Number five, my fifth rule. For those of you taking notes and looking at screens, ABC. Always be curious. My brother's a business guy, and he's the ABC always be closing. Always be closing deals, Brian. I'm like, don't do that. But I'm from the ABC camp of always be curious. I think if you want to follow your weird, you want to follow your passion, you need to be consistently curious. Always be curious about what's going on around you. Always be curious about why is that like that? I think curious people... I'm curious, why aren't you preaching the Bible? Why are you even preaching at all? People are always fun people. They still may be weird, but they're really fun, cool people. I live in a neighborhood, he mentioned a town called Decatur, that I would say is like hipsters and hippies. It's a bunch of young, cool people, and then a handful of these old people that have been there since like the 60s, and they're just sweet, cool people wearing those shoes where each toe gets a thing. And, and you know those around here probably, right? And they're so, and they're always like, they go out, you go out to dinner, they go to this new hip, cool restaurant where all these young hipster kids are at, and so everyone's too cool for school. And then there's this older couple in the corner. And I go, why are you guys here? And like, I just heard about it and thought it'd be cool. I'm like, that's so great. You're just so curious. They want to check it out. I've even gone to punk rock shows in Atlanta where it's me and a bunch of grizzled, bearded, bald dudes. And then there's, a couple, there's an older couple in the corner that was just like, we just got free tickets. We thought this would be fun. I'm like, that's so awesome. Constantly curious. Those people are my favorite people to talk to when I walk around their neighborhood. Yeah, that's great and all. Again, you're exhausting me here because the only person you're talking about is yourself. You're not the savior of the world. I don't need to repent and believe in you in order to be saved for eternal life. You know what I'm saying? Curious people are fun people. My wife and I, not to toot my own horn about my weird curiosity, my wife and I are known by our friends... As the weirdo, yeah, you've only been tooting your horn. That's the only thing you have been doing in the sermon is tooting your horn. Weirdos who watch documentaries all the time. On a Friday night, put the kid to sleep, fire up a movie. We're not the couple to watch Avengers anymore. We're going to be watching a documentary. And it's always like the weirder, the better, right? The last three documentaries we've watched, one was called World's or Worst Best Movie. It's called Worst Best Movie. It's a movie about a movie that's the worst movie ever made. Okay, so there's this movie called Troll 2 that's not based on Troll 1 at all. And Troll 2 is so bad that they made a documentary about how bad this Troll 2 movie is. That documentary was fascinating. Caused me to watch Troll 2. You're right, it's a bad movie. 
But the documentary was great. And it is just so interesting to be curious about these things. The other one we just watched, it's called Som, S-O-M-M. It's about becoming a wine sommelier. Not a big wine guy, never going to become a sommelier. We got to watch these five people try to become the smartest wine nerds on the planet. Because wine sommeliers can taste a glass of wine and can try to tell you who manufactured it, what type of grape it is, and where it's from on the planet. It's some really weird stuff. And it's a great documentary. But the most recent documentary we watched to further illustrate our weirdness and our curiosity, it's a movie about men who are obsessed with the TV show My Little Pony. It's about bronies. The movie's called Bronies. And this is not an endorsement other than to say it was a great documentary. But we're talking... My life will never be the same. I am so upset to hear that there are men who are really into My Little Pony. And that they're called bronies. I... I'm going to need therapy after this. Talking, not what I, you could be watching Die Hard 3 or watching Bronies. And it's like, I know this, it was so fascinating to learn about a subculture, to be curious to know. I think when you are a nerd and you invest yourself in something, you're always curious and you want to know what's going on. I challenge you all to be curious. You don't necessarily have to watch weird movies, but be curious. Will Jesus send me to hell like he did the unfaithful servant at the end of the parable of the talents if I don't embrace curiosity and stuff like that? The last thing I want to share with you, the last drum I like to beat with my friends, I think it's the most important, is to love. In your passion, in your gift, in your hobby, your skill, the thing you do to kill time on your phone, whatever it may be, if the byproduct of everything you're doing is not love, I think you're doing it wrong. Because for a lot of us, and truly, it's just a job. God gave us all these skills. We're not just buying time. He gave us a skill to do something with it, to honor him. But if you're not loving in the process, taking people with you, nurturing people, loving on them, you're doing it wrong. When it comes to jobs that people don't really like, uh, janitor might be on that list of like, not sure I want to clean up fifth grader puke and put the sawdust on it. That's not fun. But my uncle Larry did that. My uncle Larry, in middle, when I was in middle school, my uncle was a janitor. And a lot of people were like, is that weird? Is that? Like, no, this guy is awesome. He was the happiest guy in the place, working on his way, walking his donut, or, you know, don't walk here bucket because he's going to clean up some other puke. And, and he was just the happiest dude in the hallway. He said hi to everybody, knew everybody. Despite having a job we'd probably classify as not fun, he found a way to make the byproduct of what he did love. Because my uncle passed away about three years ago, two years ago. And at his funeral... All these people my age, now in their 30s, who were in middle school and high school when he was around there in my town in Ohio, all started telling us our family stories that, hey, do you know your uncle once took care of the Smith family at Christmas time and bought all the kids' shoes, or boots, because they didn't have snow boots? Uncle never told anybody. You know he gave this kid's mom some money to go to camp? Do you know he brought this kid in when things were really rough at home and he stayed with them for a few weeks? And all of a sudden, all these stories start coming up that no one remembers him for sweeping a broom and running that cool thing that waxes the floor. Everyone remembers Uncle Larry for the love that he exuded, the byproduct of his work. That's what we need to be doing. And another illustration... I live in Atlanta, and in metro Atlanta, there are like four post offices, and one is by my house. And post offices are not normally known for places of love and joy. 
at least in modern times, I don't know about in Helena, but in Metro Atlanta, it is just like, hey, when's this line moving? Like, it's always that all the time. And like, it's, it's just like more people are angry than happy going in there. And I ship off a lot of packages because of a side business where I sell these silly coffee mugs and things. And I go in there all the time. And when I go in, there's these two yahoos who I've grown to love and love me and my family in return. Here's how they show me they love me. I walk in, there's four or five people in line, people on the phone, people angry. And I walk in and the guys go, hey, everyone, hide your purses. We've got a robber in here. <laughs> or I'll walk in another day and the people there and he's like, sir, we don't want any. Will you please leave? We're going to call the cops. <laughs> then everyone leaves and I sit and stay and they go, hey, how, how's your kid? How's life? How's your family? It's amazing. We have this horrible, weird, awkward relationship with each other. But I've grown to love these guys and these guys have grown to love me. And they make shipping a package really fun. And possibly threatening if there's an armed police officer in there someday. But I enjoy going in there. These guys could just treat me like anybody else. They could treat all of us like anybody else. But these guys choose to have fun. They choose to love. The byproduct of their work is love. So my challenge, I guess, and the thing I wanted to talk about today was simply follow your weird. In whatever place and way that takes you, find your weird and follow it. Because God gave us all gifts. We need to use them to glorify him, love God, and love others in the process. Let's pray. That was it. Well, there you go. I mean, what's the point in having a Bible if you're just going to kind of make up stuff? Yeah, fractured Bible stories. That was our theme for today. And the problem is when you fracture God's word and you don't teach it correctly, you don't preach Christ, you don't convict people of their sin and unbelief, and then tell them of their crucified and risen Savior who bled and died for their sins and so, so they can have eternal life. You don't call them to repent and believe in him for the forgiveness of their sins. And you miss the whole point. You go to church. What was the point of going to church? To sing a couple of songs, one of them or two of them secular cover songs, and then have a guy get up and be a career guidance counselor and tell you to embrace your weird while mangling, just fracturing the, the story of... Uh, the parable of the talents. This is no way for a Christian to be a disciple of Jesus. A disciple's a learner. How can anybody who listens to this kind of pablum claim that they're actually a disciple of Jesus Christ when they're learning nothing about him? They're practically ignoring him in his name, of course. You see, that's kind of the problem with false doctrine and false teaching and just making stuff up. It's really not about learning about who Jesus is and what he taught and what he did. It's about making yourself feel important and talk about yourself so that you feel actualized or psychologized or, you know, feel like you have some meaning to your life or whatever. But you're doing this all apart from Jesus while showing up at a church that claims to be associated with Jesus that does nothing even remotely that resembles preaching him or teaching him correctly or accurately in what he's done. This is not love for Jesus. In reality, this is hatred of Jesus that you hear from these types of churches. What do you think? Love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there at pirate Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you. Grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and by Carrie's death on the cross. For all of your sins. Amen. <laughs>